1: Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Whether you're watching on the National NRB Network, TV Channel 378, or you're listening on Radio KUTR, AM 820, The Truth, we welcome you. And if you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter on television, have them go to www.hotm.tv, And they can watch live streaming video from anywhere in the world. We got a group out here from Long Beach, California. A wild bunch speaking, and they're mostly college kids. And if you are a college student, God Uncomplicated is partnering with Weber State University's InterVarsity Christian Fellowship to host an Ignite the Heart Back to School rally on September 9th, 2010. Bobby Porter, former professional basketball player, and myself will be the guest speakers. The event is free. It's open to all college-age students, and it will be held at the Shepherd Union Building on campus of Weber State University. Seating is limited. Again, it's free. The event begins at 7.30 p.m., starts about 8.00. That's September 9th, 2010. Go to www.goduncomplicated.com to get more information, and to register. For many, one of the biggest fears we face as parents leaving the LDS church is, how will this decision affect my children? After all, we raised our kids to believe in Joseph Smith, to sing uh, Book of Mormon stories, and then by the time we as adults are willing to open our eyes and look at the facts, Our children have made great friends in the warden's stake, they've borne testimony that they know the church is true, and they might have even served on a Mormon mission uh, or been married in the temple. I want you to know that as frightening as it is, we can never, ever go wrong in exposing our children to the truth and in trusting in God completely and in loving them too much. Some of you know that uh, I've been blessed with three what I believe are tremendous daughters, Mallory, Cassidy, and Delaney. And they are strangely unique, but at the same time very much alike. Of the three, Mallory, our oldest, was quickest to reject all faith and basically turn to the world when I abandoned, abandoned the LDS ship. Three years ago, I invited Mallory to come on the program and share her thoughts about God, which I knew were going to be highly controversial. We recently, I mean, we received a great deal of heat for what she said from the more tightly wound Christian community. Uh, and I, let's just go back and take a look at what she said. The audio is a little rough at the beginning, but let's just take a look. I would like to introduce you to my oldest daughter, who has some thoughts to share. Now, understand this. I believe that everybody uh, has to speak honestly and from their heart. And I think it's important that honest expression uh, is shared. That way, you can come to truth when you're being honest. And Mallory is an honest girl, and she's going to honestly share her thoughts. She's a a songwriter. She played at Heart the Park from New York City and uh, coming back to spend some time with us this summer. So, Mallory, uh, please share your thoughts with us.
2: I assure you, I'm not as entertaining as my sister, but I'll do my best. I had some mixed emotions about coming here tonight, Um, as I told my dad when he first asked me if I'd like to come. As some might know, I'm on the proverbial fence when it comes to believing in God or a God. And for that reason, I feared I might make my pops look bad, uh, being somewhat of the lost sheep in my family. He was quick to ease my worried mind, though, being the compassionate, accepting man and father that he is and told me this is what his show was about, loving and listening to everybody. Well, I'm starting to (laughs) rethink my decision, Dad. Just kidding. Um, The idea of God was planted in my brain from the day I was born, really, Uh, and up until I was about 14, I went along in the Mormon church, obeying commandments and doing what I thought was right, when in reality I had no testimony of Jesus or knew who He was, really. And as I've grown older and wiser, of course, uh, I'm not sure exactly how or why, but I've lost touch with God, and moreover, I find myself uh, unsure if He even exists. As my dad likes to tell people, I suppose I am now considered of the world. I don't go to church, I don't pray to anyone, and as of yet, I don't see any reason to change this lifestyle I've established besides the fact that I know it saddens my family. And though I have chosen to, I guess, uh, live by my own standards based on what, what gives me pleasure. I still think about God and why there are so many who live by Him and His Word. Everyone has their own demons to battle, and I believe we all fight or put off fighting them in whatever way we choose in order to feel better. We fight until we uh, find nothing is working and we finally give up. And when you've reached that point where it seems like you just want to die, you're so helpless. I believe this is a very likely time for a person to turn their life over to Jesus. Because what else is there to do? What else can make me feel better and that this life is worth living? When I look at it this way, it appears to me that God is the weak man's answer. You're so sad and disillusioned that you convince yourself that God must be the answer. You force yourself to be optimistic about this heart-wrenching existence, because if you don't, you won't make it. In that sense, maybe God isn't a bad thing. Some people, in their utter disparity, may need such a concept to survive. But I don't know if I believe He's real um, or the answer to everyone's struggle. In fact, uh, maybe he's just a nice idea that eases the pain in everyone's heart while we live day to day. And in that, suddenly everything in life, good or bad, is what is supposed to happen because God is in charge. I, uh, it seems to me that a lot of what I attribute to fate and coincidence is attributed to God by others. The other day, because of a few key decisions I made, I ended up having a really great experience. And as I was telling my mom about this, she asked me why, uh, why I thought all these coincidences were happening, clearly hinting to me that God was behind them. And I knew I would get this. I suppose that that could be true. But by the same token, why would a God just decide to make things rad for one day? I know I'm a rather arrogant youth that is rebellious at heart and definitely likes to pout amidst my sorrows in life. And perhaps it will take me one day to truly hit rock bottom before I can put my faith into Christ. But for now, I'm just not sure about any of it. There are so many people who preach their love and faith in God, who in fact have very mean-spirited, sp- excuse me, spirited, holier-than-thou attitudes, and this just disgusts me. And at the risk of sounding trite, I try very hard to be a loving and compassionate person to everyone. And though I definitely am not perfect, I am trying, and I'm trying without basing my life around God. And is this wrong? People are constantly trying to tell me that they know God is truth in life. And how do they know? I mean we really know nothing and that attitude that people know only frustrates me further.
1: On Saturday of last week while I was sitting in a health club trying to burn off fat somehow, uh, I got a call from Mallory, she's now married, living in Sweden uh, with her husband and the proud mother of uh, my first grandchild our first grandchild. And um, over the past year, she has decided on her own to open up the Bible while living in Sweden and read it. And during the course of our uh, phone conversation, she conveyed to me that she was, for a number of personal reasons, ready to surrender her life over to God. We talked about the sinner's prayer and I offered to lead her in it, not knowing if she knew what to say or do. But she declined saying she would rather offer the prayer herself. So I sat there listening as years of fear and dread and at times faithlessness melted away as this child confessed her sinful life. And her need for forgiveness and in need of a redeemer to do what she could not do for herself. Mallory asked Jesus to give her new life and for him to be the Lord and King of her uh, entire everything. I don't think Malgal could detect the torrent of tears that were running down my face as evidence of the years of worry and concern that I had for her spiritual welfare. Tears over having done something wrong maybe and standing up for Jesus as a man instead of the religion that she knew as a child even wondering if at times if I did the right thing by uprooting her from the religion of her youth. It's possible that some people who have never been LDS are not going to understand what I'm saying here, but anyone who has been LDS and walked away from it knows exactly what I mean. My friends, you cannot go wrong ever in placing all of your faith and trust in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the shed blood of his son. I am so proud of Mallory and of Cassidy and Delaney all who on their own accord in spite of having a donkey for a father uh, have received him as the Lord. And uh, Mary and I want to thank each and every one of you who have been praying for our family and for this ministry throughout the years. I'm sure I can speak for Mary and for every parent out there who loves God when I say that as parents, there is nothing more on this earth more important to us than knowing that our children know and love the Lord. And with that, let's have a prayer. God of heaven, we praise you and thank you. And uh, we seek you now and need you here in the studio as we try to do this production. And we pray for our audience uh, here and out there in TV land and radio land and everywhere else, internet land. And I just pray, Lord, that you will help us as we uh, speak and share this uh, important message tonight. We pray that you will uh, be with us and open our eyes and minds, especially for those who are seeking. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we talked about heaven. This week, we're headed the other direction and uh, talking about a place that has long been subject of some really poor description and understanding, hell. The word hell is derived from the Saxon word Helen, and it means to cover or a covering of something. In scripture, there are three words that describe this covered place, sheol, sheol, Hades, and Gehenna. The Hebrew word sheol occurs 65 times in the Old Testament. 31 times it is also rendered the grave. Generally speaking, sheol was the place that the dead went, and it was composed of two distinct compartments, the prison or hellish part or Abraham's bosom, the paradise part. Now listen closely. The hell part of sheol literally means to ask and demand. And it describes a state of insatiability. That's really what Sheol means. And it means, in the Hebrew, enough is never enough. Okay? When Jesus uh, told the story of the rich man and Lazarus, both men went to Sheol, or hell. The rich man to the hellish part, where enough is never enough. And Lazarus to Abraham's bosom, or the paradise part. Listen to the tone of Proverbs 30 which describes the hellish concept of Sheol. It says, "The horse leech has two daughters, crying, give, give. There are three things that are never satisfied, yea, four things say not it is enough. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire saith not, it is enough." In 31 instances in scripture, the word Sheol is rendered hell, and it's also rendered as the place of disembodied spirits. Proverbs uh, 21, 16 calls the inhabitants of Sheol the congregation of the dead. Ever been in a congregation of the dead? I have. (laughs) Numbers call Sheol the abode of the wicked. But Psalms, uh, 1610, 33, 49, 15, also calls Sheol a place of good. So that's why you have conflicting things with that, because one compartment in the Old Testament was for those who belonged in that dark place, like the rich man, and the other part was the paradise part of Sheol for the rich man. All right. Now, the Greek word Hades, which is found in the New Testament, has the same scope of uh, significance as the word Sheol does for the Hebrews. It is a prison in 1 Peter, is gates with bars and locks according to Matthew 16, 18, and it is located downward. This is biblical. It is down. It is below us. Prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus, the righteous and the wicked were separated in Sheol or Hades, as we've said. Hades as described by Jesus himself is a place, listen, of endless and inescapable torment. The third word for hell is Gehenna. Now, the, the, the word Gehenna is a Greek contraction for a Hebrew place called Hinnom, H-I-N-N-O-M, and it was never used in the time of Christ as anything but a future place of horrible punishment. Okay, And it got its name from a place the Jews called the Valley of Hinnom, first mentioned in the Old Testament, Joshua uh, chapter 18. Now, this Valley of Hinnom was a deep, narrow ravine, and it uh, is called the Hill of Evil Counsel. Why? When the Jews became so idolatrous, they burned their children alive at this place to sacrifice their babies to the god Moloch and Baal Uh, in the valley part of Hinnom known as Tophet, which means fire stove, okay? So when the Jews came out of exile, this place where they were once practicing idolatry and burning their babies alive there, it was so... It was such an abhorrence to them that they made the place where all sick things go on for the city. So they would bring out all human waste to the Valley of Hinnom and they would uh, all animals, dead bodies and the criminals uh, bodies were supposedly taken there, too, because there was a fire there that was constantly burning on the refuse that was being poured into this place. In other words, the Valley of Hinnom was a literal place that Jesus used as an example, a literal example, of what hell will be like for those who refuse him, the Valley of Hinnom. In most of its occurrences in the Greek New Testament, Gehenna designates a place of the lost. And the fearful condition of Gehenna is described through various figurative expressions throughout the word of God. The Jews had two ideas regarding Hinnom as a future place of uh, torture. It was a place of great suffering and it was a place of great filth and corruption. And like I said, it became the symbol of the abode for the wicked in the hereafter. And Jesus used it for that. And he used it 11 times in his discourses to describe hell. So it must have had something present in it that depicted what Jesus claimed hell to be like. Finally, there's another word that describes hell. It's in the Greek. It's very rarely used. It's the abusos. And that word in the Greek means bottomless pit. And we're going to show how hell and the bottomless pit are two different places. It is thought or believed that in this earth today, coming up from the underneath is a portal of sorts called the abusos. If you go on the internet, you'll find a lot of people who say, that miners were digging in Russia and they came across this thing and they could hear screaming and terrible stuff and they think they tapped into the abusos that is this place. Now, I don't know if that exists or not, but a lot of people believe it does. Okay, before we proceed, it's really important to know is that as with most other things, Mormonism has multiple meanings for their definition of hell, with most of them missing the biblical mark. In the Encyclopedia of Mormonism, page two colon five eighty five, it reads: quote, Latter-day Saint scripture describes at least three senses of hell. One, that condition of misery which may attend a person in mortality due to disobedience of divine law. Two, the miserable but temporary state of disobedient spirits in the spirit world awaiting resurrection, and three, the permanent habitation of the sons of perdition who suffer the second spiritual death and remain in hell after the resurrection. So first, Mormon scripture allows for a person to experience a living hell while on earth. This is the result, they say, of disobeying God's law, and I suppose that can happen. We've all been in our own living hells. Secondly, Mormonism admits that hell will give up her dead, okay? Now listen, Christians would readily agree with this, but in a completely different way. The Bible tells us hell, Sheol, is going to give up her dead, but it is only for them who will then come before the great white throne of God and be judged of God and sent to everlasting punishment. You have to understand that is what the Christian believe, hell will give up her dead, the great white throne judgment, those who are judged by their works how evil they were, will be placed in hell at that judgment. The Christians are not going to go to that great white throne judgment, okay? We'll talk more on that in a minute. Finally, Mormonism does embrace a permanent hell, which is similar to the Christian view. They call it outer darkness. But for the LDS, this place omits burning from what we can tell. And it is only for these people they call sons of perdition. And I got a secret for you. I'm one of them. Yeah, they call me one of them because I knew that Mormonism was true and now I fight against the kingdom of God. And so we get an email, oh, I don't know how often, you son of perdition, you are going to go to outer darkness. So I believe in Jesus, I'm saved by grace, I try to follow him, I love him, I promote him, I'm going because I fight against the Mormon church. Now, the Bible teaches some very clear uh, messages about hell. Most of them came from the mouth of Jesus who talked more about hell than heaven and most of the things he said are not very politically correct today. Let me cover four general points about what the Bible says about hell. First, it's one of two possible destinations for the departed. Uh, the singular heaven being another. Okay, In Matthew 25, 34, it states, listen, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom of Prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then in the same story, verse 41, he states, Then shall he say to them on his left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Those on the right, blessed of the Father, to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Those on the left, cursed and sent to an everlasting fire. There's no other options. But Mormonism rejects these biblical truths out of the hands. Apostle Hugh B. Brown stated in the LDS Conference 1965, quote, we reject the unscriptural doctrine that there are two places or states of eternal existence, heaven and hell, and that all men will go to one or the other. We reject that, they say. This is really important to understand, my friends, because what it actually reveals is the LDS rejection of salvation by grace uh, uh, through faith. Let me try to explain this. You see, if a person has been saved by grace through faith, heaven is the destination. Saved by grace through faith equals heaven. Okay? And if a person is not saved by grace, then a singular hell would suffice. So saved by the blood, you either are heaven heaven. Not saved by the blood? Hell. That's what the Bible teaches. But to the LDS, everyone, every place except outer darkness, which is reserved for guys like me, is a level of heaven. Why is this so? Because the LDS teach that everybody who came to this earth has done a good work in believing God's plan of salvation. And because they came to this earth, when they die, everyone is going to receive a level of heaven. That means Hitler, Mussolini, Pol Pot, Manson, God haters, whatever. They are going to go to a place that Joseph Smith said, if you could see it, you would be tempted to kill yourself because they agreed to come here and get a body. Um, But of course, if you fight this concept that Mormonism teaches, you are going to go to that outer darkness place. Second point, the Bible says that there are varying levels or punishments in hell. Joseph Smith took it and said there are varying levels of glory in heaven, hell says there are varying levels of punishment in hell, and it's supported by scripture. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10:15 uh, that if a city refuses to hear what they have to say, that it should be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city. That's a comparative He says, this city will be treated one way, this city will be treated another. Speaking of hell in Luke 12, 47, 48, Jesus speaks about some who will be beaten with a few stripes, and he speaks about some who will be beaten with many stripes, different levels of punishment in this hell. And the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 29, of how much sore a punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who's trodden under foot, the son of God. So... Uh, Hebrews tells us that um, there are sorer punishments for people when they come and they have trodden under the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And finally, we're all familiar with what John the Beloved reported in Revelation 20, uh, 11 through 15. Listen to this. It says, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, whose face, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead, these are the inhabitants of hell, by the way, were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So they could be assigned that different level of hell. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. Who? The dead of the death and hell. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So let me help you understand this. What that says there is that that great white throne judgment, hell gives up her dead and everybody comes out of it. And God says, this is what it's written about you in this book. You're going to be beaten with a few stripes. You're going to be beaten with a ton of stripes. And hell will be cast into, what does it say? The eternal, uh, what does it say? Um, According to the works, uh, cast into the lake of fire. That lake of fire is very different from Sheol, which we've been talking about. It's after the judgment, does then this eternal place become a place of fire, like Tophet? Okay? Third, we know that politically incorrect as it is, hell is a place of torture. And the torture is described as coming from eternal heat and flame and fire or burning. And some people love to say, well, why would a loving God create such a place for people? And the answer is he didn't. He created a place like this for angels who were disobedient, who were in his presence and he rebelled against Him. He cast them out and put them in this pit. Human beings will choose to go there because they refuse his solution. And his solution was what? His son. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that who should believe on him should have everlasting life. And God said, listen, let me, I'll give you my son to save you from this place. But there are people who are going to say, I don't want it. I don't agree with this. I don't believe in that Jesus. And they will go to this place that was prepared for Satan and his angels. Then let's look at the eternal description of hell, okay? Which Mormons reject too. The original language helped refute their deception. In Matthew 25, 46, Jesus says, and these shall go away into, it says, everlasting punishment. And then it says, but the righteous into life eternal. Look at those two words, everlasting punishment, life eternal. The Greek word for everlasting punishment and life eternal, everlasting and eternal, are identical. There's no difference. Those who go to heaven, Eternal bliss, those who go to hell, eternal damnation. There is no getting out, okay? Uh, if, you, if you read in uh, Revelation 14, 11, it says, and the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image and whosoever received the mark in his name. Talking about those who went through uh, the tribulation and took the mark. So listen, this is telling you that forever and ever. There, the Greek is the same word as eternal. The Greek is the same word for everlasting. And there's a Greek scholar. He's a Lutheran named R. C. H. Uh, Linsky, and he says this: the strongest expression for our English word forever in the Greek is this: eonane ton eonon. And the Greek takes a great term for a time, the eon. It plural. Pluralizes it, then it multiplies it by its own plural, even using articles which make the eons the definite ones. He says you cannot get a more um, descriptive uh, Greek sentence that means forever and ever and ever that smoke will ascend, the torment will last. Okay? Bottom line, folks, it's eternal. One more thing, and this is amazing. Jesus speaks of a place where he says, their worm never dies. What does he mean when he says their worm never dies and the smoke ascends up? What is this worm, their worm, he's talking about? Well, the Lord takes that phrase straight from the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 66, read this. This is what Jesus quoted from. It says, and they shall go forth and shall look upon the carcass of the men that have transgressed against me for their worm shall not die neither shall their fire be quenched and they shall be in abhorrence to all flesh what scholars believe that means is once we are under that pressure of fire and torment for eternity on end we will become the, we will have what is left of us like an earthworm and that remnant of us will be uh, their worm never will die it will always be there under that pressure. It's horrifying stuff. The Bible finally teaches that it, hell is uh, painful. Again, it reads in Revelation, And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone and the smoke shall ascend up forever and ever. The Greek word for torment is basanzizo. Sorry for the pronunciation. And in the Greek lexicon mean it's very grievous pain and torture. Art and Gingrich says it means to torture or to to torment. In contrast with the Bible, Mormonism has ultimately made literal hell a place that is so difficult to obtain. And the hell of not going to the celestial kingdom is just merely people going to a lesser Glory of heaven. It is one of the greatest deceptions in Mormonism because there's people, if you go to any bars down here who uh, are Mormons who are drinking beer, who don't go to their meetings, and they start getting in an argument, they'll say, Well, I'll never make the celestial kingdom, but you know, I don't care. I'll, I'll make it to a lesser one, and it's still going to be a great place to be. It's one of the greatest deceptions of Mormonism because it's made people believe that there's all these levels of heaven, and hell is just reserved for Sean McCraney and guys like me. Um, But the teachings of hell that Mormonism provides are very, very palatable. It makes people really, really like it, and it makes it uh, seem very popular, and so people embrace that idea. In fact, my own mother, she says one of the reasons that she converted to Mormonism before I was born was that they didn't believe in hell, and she liked that. You know, of course, it's very entertaining. It's a terrifying place. One quick story. We're going to go to the phones, 801-973-TV20, 20 First time callers, please, LDS callers, if possible, turn down your TV sets. Several years ago, uh, 1971, there was a book called Beyond Death's Door by Dr. Maurice Rollins. I really don't like to quote from stuff like this, because often there's a lot of hype in it. But supposedly, he was a critical, uh, cynical atheist. And he believed all religion was hocus-pocus, and death was nothing but a painless extinction. He was a cardiovascular surgeon, and internal medicine of disease, and he had brought many people back to life. And one day, he is resuscitating somebody, and it says from his book, Each time this person regained heartbeat and respiration, the patient screamed, I am in hell. And he goes on to say, well, of course you're in hell. You're in pain and you don't like what's going on. You're in hell, you're in hell. He was a cynic. He didn't believe it. And he said that he looked at the guy's face and he saw an expression of horror that was worse than anything he'd ever seen before. He said his pupils were dilated and he was perspiring and trembling and his hair looked like it was standing on end. And then he said another strange thing happened. He said that the guy could kind of detect that the doctor didn't believe he was in hell. And he lunged for him and he said, don't you get it? He said, I am in hell. Don't let me go back to hell. And from this seriousness in this man, it occurred to him that he was in serious spiritual trouble. This helped convert Dr. Maurice Rollins, Thomas Nelson publishes his book, to Christ as the answer to this thing. So uh, Jesus paid the price. You receive him. You go by faith, and hell is gone. It's not a worry. It's not anything, and it is so simple. And yet, because it's so simple, few people will embrace it. Let's go and let's watch a partner spot. We'll come back and take your calls here on Heart of the Matter. All right, grab a pencil. Just grab something to write with. Um, we have tried to do this spot several times. I don't even know what time of day it is anymore. I've been sitting here so long. And But what we are want to tell you is... Heart of the Matter has been blessed greatly in trying to reach people with the message of Jesus Christ, especially those who are in the LDS Church. We contend for the faith each and every week for five years. We have hundreds of programs, and by the grace of God, the fruit has been plentiful, and we're seen all over the world. But this medium that we've chosen called TV is very expensive, and we need you to help us stay on the air. So, there are ways that you can do it, and we want you to partner with us. That's what we're asking you to do. So, write this phone number down, 888 868 4686. You can also go online. You can go to www.hotm.tv, or you can write us at Alathia Ministries, 4760 Highland Drive, number 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. Again, let me give you that information. You can call us at 888 868 4686. You can sign up to be a partner by going online at hotm.tv. Or you can write us at Alathia Ministries, 4760 Highland Drive, number 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. The Lord has taken this in spite of the host, in spite of the technical inability for me to get this partner's program down right. But we need you, and if he inclines your heart and you're interested, please contact us and help us keep the program on the air. God bless you. Welcome back. We're going to go to Richard, Salt Lake City. It's, it says he's a first-time caller, and he's three-quarters LDS. <laughs> Richard, you're on the air. Hello? Hey, Richard.
0: Yeah, I can barely hear you. Well,
1: uh, we'll we'll work on it. Our sound's a little tough.
0: Yeah, I... Uh... First of all, you got me uh, convinced uh, to join you. I don't know where you sign up. All this uh, <laughs> hell, uh, you know, really, that's pretty scary stuff. Yeah, it and is. Do hey, you, you think you actually go down into like a volcano and it's the actual uh, lava that's uh, burning you all the time?
1: Hey, you know what, Richard? Uh, it's really interesting you asked that because the Hebrew word uh, for brimstone is sulfur, and it's exactly the same contents that come out of volcanoes. So Job, well, if you... Job, before even knowing that, was able to describe it. So that's an interesting point. And yeah, I do think that you are in the center of the Earth. I do think that's where Hell is.
0: So what do you? How do you feel it if you don't have a a body? What do you?
1: Well, remember Sheol, where people are being held right now. That is not the burning place. The people who are in that holding place right now is not where the fire is. That's gonna oh. come at the great white throne, and that's after the resurrection. So remember. So you, st-
0: so you still got a chance, right?
1: <laughs> Don't wait, <laughs> Richard. Do you, I see yeah. your three quarters LDS. How can I get a hold of that that one quarter that's not?
0: Well, uh, I just I was wondering with you. First of all, I was going with your family, did your wife immediately quit the church when you did, or did they just kind of all follow you out?
1: No, it took her four years, and then it took her literally probably another four years, three years, to really start to get it. They just took their names off the records of the church. My daughter Cassidy was the first one out, and then Delaney, and then Mallory. Yeah,
0: what if any of them went back, what would you do? What if your wife went back?
1: It, that you know she could go back my daughters can go back i really don't really care and this gets me in trouble people yeah. are people and we we have fears and we have weaknesses it's not about that religion although i'd be sad if they went back because it's nothing but bondage i care mostly about them knowing the lord and i know sure. that if they went back they couldn't stay there for very long
0: it would uh, blow your mind though if your wife went back and Married somebody else, I guess, huh? (laughs) Yeah. But but anyhow, uh, you know, the other thing I, what does God look like?
1: Who, God?
0: What does he look like, or she, or?
1: God God is a spirit, and a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see Jesus have.
0: I know, what is it? Is there any form, or any, uh?
1: Don't know, I, I believe the best description of God is fire.
0: So it's just a ball of fire. Huh? Well,
1: maybe not a ball, but it's fire.
0: Fire. Okay. And then, and then, secondly or thirdly, I worked in a maximum security prison uh, with uh, death row inmates, and yeah. we had a nice uh, discussion one time. Uh, the uh, psychiatrist was there with a the tape recorder. He shouldn't have been doing that. He got fired for it. But uh, we were gonna you know, interview some of these guys, and one guy, we said, well, now, uh, if you're executed on Monday, which he was going to be, where are you going to be on Tuesday? And he says, oh, I'll be with Jesus, I'll be with God, because uh, I've uh, repented. I think he burnt some people, raped raped, uh, a couple of women, and uh, set them on fire, and then hid the Remnant, and uh, so he got the death penalty. So he would be in—he would be with Jesus.
1: Well, I don't know the man, but all I know is that a couple things: absent from the body, present with the Lord. If he believed, and if he yeah, believed,
0: well, he does. He—he—he he, he said he'd been to his priest, and that he. Well, uh,
1: I don't was know if forgiven, that means and
0: I, he I, knew I, in his heart he was forgiven, and so uh, he'd he, be with Jesus and God.
1: Well, because he burned the wi- the women up, as horrible as that is, that's yeah. not what sends a person to hell. What sends a oh. person to hell is whether they have received what Christ has offered them or not.
0: Well, he did. He well, said, then if he did,
1: then he's with I've, God. You what? If he did, then he's with God, Richard.
0: All right.
1: Now, great. Great. Oh, you have more?
0: One, one last one. Where do all the Mormons go? Do they go on the volcano or do they go... Uh They don't have any hope,
1: I guess. You know what? It really isn't, Richard, a thing about the Mormons or the Catholics or the Baptists. It's a thing about who in the Mormon church, who in the Baptist church, Catholic church, who has a spiritually reborn life, who has been born again, receives what Christ has to offer, believes, confesses with their mouth, follows him. It's those things that make the Christian. It's not the religion. However... Mormonism does everything it can to keep people from knowing him. So that's why we fight against it. But in terms of what is going to happen with the Mormons, no idea.
0: So if I right now admit I believe in Christ, and uh, I'm going to turn my will and my life over and uh, surrender, and uh, let's just say I'm doing that right now, yeah. Uh, but I'm uh, technically Mormon, then I won't go in the volcano, I'll go to heavenly. Jesus that's
1: right if you believe that and you say that and you believe it yes absolutely Richard
0: well what if you're Mormon though
1: it doesn't matter
0: name removed
1: doesn't matter Richard what happens is God is gonna look at your heart when you just said that on the air right now and he's gonna say did Richard really receive that and then you're going to die and and he's gonna say you did Richard you did come into my presence and you're gonna say but I went to the Mormon Church he's gonna say well I'm sorry you wasted a lot of time
0: I don't need to go get my name off the registry then, huh, the database?
1: Well, I'll put it to you this way. If you receive the Lord and if you have a change of heart, I promise you, you will probably want to very quickly.
0: But I can still be a Mormon and go to heaven?
1: You, Yeah, I would believe so, yes.
0: Okay, well, then one last thing. Do you think the Mormon church, or would you have a less of the effectiveness if, the mormon church tolerated uh, the gay community as much as you know like you do. i guess you you figure that do you think that uh, it would be a little more uh, oh i don't know how to say it would you be a little less effective if uh, mormons uh, embraced the gay community
1: well you know uh... you're hitting all the <laughs> the great highlight questions tonight richard uh, i think if Mormonism embraces the gay community in terms of allowing them to openly practice homosexuality and be members of their church and, uh, and all that stuff that goes along with it, I think that Mormonism will be highly effective in this world. Yeah, but you got to understand it's not embracing the gay community because we embrace the adulterous and the, and the, and the gossiping and the mean-spirited communities too, don't we? It's it's that has that gay person, the individual, come to know who Jesus is. But in terms of Mormons' effectiveness, I think they're a world organization anyway. I think they're a humanitarian organization anyway. And I think at some point in time, they probably will embrace homosexuality as an accepted uh, lifestyle. Okay.
0: Okay. And uh, no more stock the Mormon Church has in Zion's Bank.
1: I don't know. I don't know, man. Enough. I got to go. We got a lot of people waiting, Richard. Good call. Thank okay, you. Okay. Well, i Okay. Just see was you bad. later. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to Kristen and Bountiful LDS first-time caller. Kristen, you're on heart of the matter.
3: Oh, hey. How are
1: you? I'm doing good. How are you?
3: Good. Hey, um I just was watching your program earlier and I heard you say that um you used to be LDS member and you believed that it was true and I was just curious. Um what turned you against it, or you know, caused you to believe that it wasn't true?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. It's probably timely to ask it too, uh, Kristen, because we haven't covered it in a long time. But we've been on the air for four and a half years, and so you kind of think people know. Uh, I was LDS forty years. Uh, I I uh, never believed that God had accepted me as a person. I believed oh. that I was always in jeopardy with Him. I never had peace. And I always knew myself to be a sinner. And even though I was a high priest and I was in a bishopric and a stake high council and taught early morning seminary and did all those things, Kristen, I never had a personal relationship with God. It was always me trying to make him happier with me and me trying to look the right part and play the right part. And I had a lot of pride and I was a bastard. And that's a word in the Bible, so I can use it. I was really just not a good guy on the inside, but outwardly I looked really nice. And so, uh, what happened was I came to a point of desperation. I hate the, hated the hypocrisy. So I was along a roadside and I prayed to God and by the end of that day, I was changed radically in my heart and I remained LDS for another four years. And then I, then I decided to go to Bible school and I learned the Bible. And so, it's a combination of a number of things. Seeking to know him being absolved of my sin knowing that if i was killed i was going to be with god because he promises that in his word and the lds don't have that you see you're only as secure as your last visiting teaching appointment as the last time you went to the temple if you've paid your tithing if you wear your garments if you fulfill your calling if you get married in the new and everlasting covenant if you obey the word of wisdom i mean it's just endless this cycle this hamster wheel and pretty soon you're just dying under this under this weight and you don't have this peace that Jesus said, "Hey, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you." You don't have that because you're always trying to earn it, and that's what happened. Oh,
3: okay. I was just curious. You okay. answered my question. Thank
1: you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're so cute. Uh, let's go to Lou in Provo. He is LDS. Lou. Hey, LDS
0: you're? for another four years.
1: Lou. Oh, hello. You got, you're on the air, Lou. Okay. You're on the air.
3: All right. Is this Sean? This is. Oh, okay, Sean. Uh, I won a call last week, but you're not out of time, but this is about the calling an election made sure. Yeah. Another word for, they used to call it the second endowment. Yeah. And I had a great aunt and uncle who received that, and it must have been, uh, they got married about 1890, and he died in 1950, so sometime in between there, they were called up and received that, and when I asked him about it, I said, well, who was a temple president? who was pres- a President of the church at that time, yeah. and his wife said, well, we can't talk about that. All we can say is that we had it or we didn't have it. We can't talk, it. we can't say anything else about it. Huh. And years later, I asked a temple president in about 1970 if they about that, and he says, we can't talk about that. And he says, we don't do it anymore, and we can't talk about it. So anyway, I thought that might, might be of interest to you.
1: I wish someone would talk about it.
3: <laughs> okay.
1: But I really appreciate that, Lou. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Just to let you know, our audience, to the audience, um, calling election made sure, as the LDS believe, that uh, that means you are called into the temple in a special ceremony, especially for you, because you've proven yourself worthy, and you are then assured that you're saved uh, in the highest degree of the celestial kingdom, which means you are going to be a god, okay? And they used to announce that years ago at the onset of the church, uh, who made that, and you were supposed to go into the temple and actually see Jesus, and he was supposed to say, you did it, buddy. But now, they don't, it's not public anymore, and it's too sacred to talk about. Grace in Ogden, Utah. Grace, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Grace.
3: Sean, you talked about the sinner's prayer, right? Yeah. Where do I find it?
1: Well, it comes by... Remember, I, the sinner's prayer is not requisite. It's not necessary. It's a, it's a, a practice that came about from the anxious bench of the, uh, of the 19th century, And when people would sit at revivals and the sinner prayer came forward. But we do read in Romans where, you know, it says in Romans 10, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Right. So that's where we get that from.
3: So there is no, like, you know, going to in prayer and saying, look, I really messed up. I did A, B, C, and D wrong and, you know.
1: You know, it's really a matter of the heart where you cry out to God and say, save me a sinner, you know, and it's...
3: Oh, uh, I've done that plenty of times, and yes. uh,
1: well, yes. that, that's um, what that's what it is, Grace.
3: I'm still working on 1 Corinthians here. So when you mentioned this earlier tonight, I wasn't quite sure.
1: Okay, yeah, that's it. Thanks okay. so much.
3: Congratulations. I'm so happy for your for your daughter. We know things are going to be perfect. Or not perfect, but a lot better.
1: Thanks so much, Grace. And,
3: and for Richard, I don't think you'll ever get it.
1: <laughs> we'll see. Thank you. Bye-bye. She's going to be repenting of that, too. I oh, know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're going to Laura in Salt Lake City. First time caller. Laura is 10 years old. Laura? Hi, Sean. Hi, Laura.
3: Hi. Hi. I have a quick question for you. Okay. Um, I want to know if uh, I know that the Bible says that absent with the body, from present with the Lord. Yeah. But I was wondering if you believe that once you die, you immediately go to heaven or hell, or if when the rapture happens, then you go to heaven.
1: I believe if you're a believer in Christ that you go directly to heaven. And then I (laughs) believe- The younger ones are the sharpest. Thank you, Laura. Okay, goodbye. (laughs) Bye-bye. Contrast Laura with Richard. (laughs) Jesus had it right, didn't he? Hey, we got a, we got a, I got a postcard and it says, dear Sean, was Jesus as belligerent in his disclosure As you are, in his discourse, as you are. If not, why not? And uh, I want you to know all through Scripture, we see Jesus uh, teaching people strongly about truths. And there's a number of passages I have here, but we're running out of time. But if you look up Acts 13.10, Proverbs 28.23, Luke 20.21, Ephesians 5.11, just read those four passages. You can watch this again and get them if you missed it. And you can see that there's a time and place when you have to be strong with people. Terribly tough email we received. It's from Linda. It says, I raised my son Mormon. The eldest son died of cancer at the age of 20. He was sick when he was 15. He was very depressed and said he didn't want to live anymore. When I asked him why, he said, I'm a bad person. He went on to tell me that the bishop had been holding private meetings with him every month and asking if he touched himself. His seminary teacher was also telling my son that it was a sin to touch himself, but that after you're married, you can do anything sexually that you want. I called the general authority and complained, only to be told that they were teaching my son correct principles. I took my children out of the Mormon church, and I spent the next year trying to rebuild my son's self-esteem and his will to live by telling him how much God loves him. Uh, after a year, my son chose to go back to the Mormon church. He, Towards the end of his life, he came home from church very anxious. He said he had to get married before he died or he wouldn't go to the celestial kingdom. I told him that wasn't true. I told him that God would make everything up for whatever he missed out in this life. He died on New Year's Eve 1991 believing in the Mormon church and having received his endowment in the temple the year before he died. My question, is my son in heaven? I wasn't a born-again Christian before he died, so I couldn't teach him the truth about Jesus. Does God make an exception for those who die without knowing the real Jesus? Uh, Linda, all I can tell you is this. God does not make any exception for people receiving his son. But you have to understand, knowing the real Jesus is, is, is a very tricky thing. There are two types of knowledge we can look at. There's ontological knowledge and there's epistemological knowledge. That's a, those are two big words, but ontological knowledge is, I know Jesus was born in a manger. I know Jesus walked on water. I know Jesus died on a cross. I think he probably had long hair and a beard from all the pictures I've seen. I know that he wore a robe. I know that he was kind and fa- All those are ontological. Those are factual things about knowing Jesus, okay? Epistemological knowing Jesus is, do you know him? Do you realize who he is and who he was? And that is going to be the difference. It doesn't matter that your son died a Mormon. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't really matter if he knew Jesus. And guess what? He had you as a mother. And you were trying to show him the Lord It says through your thing. I give everybody... The benefit of the doubt because God is a loving God full of grace and he is going to determine every situation and I would never be in a position to say, uh, no, he's not in heaven because he died a believing Mormon. I personally believe, and others will argue with me, but I personally believe that many Mormons, most Mormons have a great idea of who Jesus is. They know he died on a cross. They know he was the son of God. They know he resurrected. They have a really good ontological knowledge of him. It's the epistemological knowledge of, has it gone from their head to their heart? And it's the church that keeps it from going from here to here because when it goes to here, they walk from churches and they say, no more of this junk. I know the real God. Don't beat yourself up. God is more loving, more full of grace, more everything your son, I am sure, is in heaven with him. If he's uh, if he's not, because you asked the question, uh, it's going to be by God's will, and you would understand that someday, but I don't believe that for a second. It's the best answer I can give you. All right? Elijah and Tewella, he's 12 years old. <laughs> Elijah, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, um, I
3: was going to ask you if, um, well, I wasn't going to really ask you. I was going to say that, you know, my friend, he's LDS. Yeah. And um he he um I told him about the Mormon's the Book of Mormon. Yeah. And I told him footy worship, he said Joseph Smith. And I said, That's not God. And I made him realize it. Wow. And um I think he might grow up to be a Christian.
1: Wow. That's awesome, Elijah.
3: Thank
1: you. You're living, you're living up to your name, Elijah. So are you still friends with this boy? Yeah. Have you ever uh, asked him if he wants to come to church with you?
3: Um, no, but he's asked me and my, <laughs> my grandma
1: won't let me. <laughs> you, got, <laughs> you have a wise grandma, listen to her. Well, you just, keep being a, you just keep being a friend with him and you just keep loving him and you keep uh, sharing messages about who Jesus is to you. And why it's important to you, Elijah, and you're planting such good seeds, and your friend, I believe you are right. I think he is gonna come to know the Lord. All right? Yeah, me too. All right, thanks for the call.
3: Thank you, bye.
1: Say okay, bye. These kids are the best. Heart of the Matter has turned into a kid program. No more adults, just kids. We're going to Lorna in West Jordan, first time call. Lorna, you're on Heart of the Matter.
3: Hi, Sean. Hi, Lorna. How are you?
1: I'm good, how are you?
3: good i just have a a hurry i'm going to hurry and give a comment here i went to a mormon funeral a couple weeks ago up in logan and i noticed that the church did not have a picture of jesus anymore in the Uh, chapel uh. and i questioned my mom and my sister and i go what happened to the picture of jesus and they're like i don't know Uh, another thing i had uh, the nerve to ask my mother who is good lds that if my dad would have survived her and she would have died first how would she feel if my dad got married in the temple and got sealed to several other wives and what would her reaction be and she said uh dead silence on the phone and I said well uh I would say hell no (laughs) and she said well uh that would be left up to God you know we, we I'm sure that he would you know Uh, figure things out. So anyway, that's my comment.
1: (laughs) Really good one. Thank you so much, Lorna. God bless you. God bless you. Thanks for calling. All right. Bye-bye. I Was a Born Again Mormon, available at www.UtahLighthouseMinistries, UTLM.org, also at Lifeway Christian Bookstores and Christian Gift and Bible. You can also get it at going to www.bornagainmormon.com. Remember, we're having Burning Heart this September 4th of Saturday from 5 to 8, I'm pretty sure, 5 to 9. And how about joining our weekly verse-by-verse Bible study this week? Go to uh, calvarycampus.com because this coming Sunday, we're starting with the Book of Acts, going verse-by-verse. It should only take us about two years. So join us if you want. Until then, we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.
0: Break my rusty cage.